0: Turn to Thessalonians, we're continuing our study in Thessalonians, we'll be in uh, chapter 2, is this thing on? Yeah. How many of you yesterday, by chance, saw the Whitney Houston funeral? Raise your hand if you watched some of that, okay, handful of us around here. Uh, again, I, I don't know, and it's not for me to know. But um, I will say this, I mentioned this to Mike yesterday when he stopped by the house. I, I, don't, I can't recall in my lifetime hearing as much scripture in a given four hours on the news, on the news channels, than what I heard yesterday. And I, I, I took this in and I just found myself, number one, rejoicing and praising the Lord that he was being exalted. Uh, It reminded me of Paul when, you know, hey, these guys are preaching and teaching for gain, and he says, hey, praise the Lord, Christ is being preached. And again, I know there were some definite differences, and I could have done without the last man at the end, uh, because his gospel was prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel. But up to that point, some of the ones who spoke, uh, no doubt, knew the Lord and spoke in the power of the Lord. Phenomenal. I, I, I really was impressed with uh, the message that was put forth. And there was enough truth. And, and again, this is what I, 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 I found myself just rejoicing in the Lord because he was lifted up. And there was enough, enough truth there that someone who genuinely was seeking heard Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. That was quoted. That was put forward. And again, um, a lot can be said in the negative uh, as far as the lifestyle, the life choices that were made. But I wondered, and I told Allison, I said, you know, I, I just wonder, I couldn't help but think about this. Here was a mother who no doubt prayed constantly for her daughter. In fact, Whitney's sister gave testimony to the mom that, Mom, you would have been proud of her. She was faithful in reading the Scriptures daily. Now, obviously, I'm sure the mother would have loved to have heard that she read she, she, and, and heeded the Scriptures that she was reading. But again, the, what her mom had poured into her life had, had grabbed hold, and she held to that. And even in those moments, uh, in those bad days, she would still contact her mom for prayer and so forth and so on. And so I thought, if nothing else, this is a testimony to a mother who probably poured her heart out uh, to a holy God on behalf of her sister. And I couldn't help but think of, and I asked Allison, I I told Allison, I said, you know, I can imagine her mother praying, Lord, be magnified in my daughter's life. Be magnified. Let my daughter's testimony. Let, be magnified in her. And yet in her death, that prayer was answered. Because Christ was lifted up. And uh, again, you, you can you know, come down either side of, of your thoughts on what, what you think about uh, celebrities such as Whitney Houston and, and so forth and so on. But I came away from that, number one, uh, knowing the promises of God that His Word will not return void. And there was not only Scripture spoken, it was also sung in song. And uh, it was, the name of Jesus was proclaimed for four hours. Uh, when's the last time you saw that on CNN? <laughs> you know? So, uh, so anyways, uh, let that be an opportunity. Let that be an opportunity for you to speak of your faith. Um. And so as you go throughout this week, as you go to the workplace, maybe that's a starter. Maybe that's a conversation starter. Hey, did you happen to see that the other day? What did you think about that? You can engage people, and it gives you the opportunity to do what we've been called to do, and that is through our life, exalt the name of Christ. Not just in word, but in deed. And that's what we talked about last time here in, in First Thessalonians, and we'll continue that thought today, in sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Look, if you would, and I'm just going to recap these uh, verses again um, for continuity's sake. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved, to, uh, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so, we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes our own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God, your witnesses, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father, again, I pray that you would empower and embolden me to speak your truth in love, that you would... Help me through the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim your truth, your gospel. And Lord, that you would be magnified in this place, that you'd be magnified in our lives. So Lord, help us this morning to not only hear your word, but to heed it. It does us no good if we come in here, sit, and hear the truth proclaimed hear from the Spirit of God nudging at our heart and yet harden ourselves to it or get up and go out of here forgetting what we've heard. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to really grab hold of this message, that it would challenge us and that you might charge us to go from here changed that we might, through our life, glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Have your will and way this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week we talked about in sharing the gospel that we're to be bold. And this week I want to talk about how we need to not only be bold, but we need to be gentle. And... You may recall as we look here back in these early verses and just sort of want to touch on a few things that we did hit on last week about being bold, uh, not in our own strength, but the text said bold in our God. And we talked how if we're going to do anything for the cause of Christ, it cannot be in our own strength, but it has to be in His strength. And, And some of you who are worker bees, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's real easy to just get going, 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 and going all the time to the point of burnout. And yet sometimes we're better off to forego so much and do one or two things great with excellence for the glory of God. Yet others use that sometimes as an excuse to to not do what God has gifted them to do. And yet some of us sit here this morning with great spiritual gifts and not even using them in the local body. And I want to challenge us all this week. We've got a wonderful opportunity. We're beginning a brand new study on Wednesday night. And it's going to require every single one of us at this church. But I can tell you this is an opportunity for Community Baptist Church to walk in obedience to what the Spirit of God and what the Word of God has commanded us to do. And even if you're not here Wednesday night, you'll be getting a call from the pastor to participate. Because again, if this is going to be done, it's going to take all of us. And I can assure you, there is a place for every single one of you. That doesn't mean you've got to be here every Wednesday night. That's not what I'm saying. Though I would invite you to come at least this Wednesday to see the big picture so that you understand what it is that we are hoping to do in this community. So, with that said, uh, I've given you enough to, to talk about for this uh, after service. Um, I, I kind of wanted to do this like you've seen the commercials, whether it's a, a, a film coming on or the new show, The Event, you know, and, and the mystery of it. And there is a bit of mystery. I'm not revealing exactly what we're doing because, quite frankly, curiosity might kill this cat. So you come on out and we'll kill you uh, Wednesday. Uh. <laughs> anyway, I'm just, it's, yeah. Uh, just come out and come out and see what we got going and again um, it's i 'm excited about it because it 's an opportunity it 's an opportunity for all of us uh, to pull together and really be in one accord in in a direction that I feel confident God wants us to move in with that said, Paul was telling the folks at Thessalonica. He says, look, you know, you know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. There were people who were who became believers as a result of them sharing the gospel and they were bold in sharing that that message. He said, look, you know, you know what happened to us in Philippi. You remember how there was a big riot that broke out and and they were uh, put in jail. They were beaten with rods. They were they were cast into, uh, into prison there in the jail in Philippi and, and they sang praises to God and, and uh, the chains fell off and the doors opened and the Philippian jailer was getting ready to kill himself and, and they said, wait a minute, we're all still here. And he comes in and, and drops to his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? And their testimony obviously was uh, so powerful in not only their words but in their actions that it affected the lives of many especially starting there with that Philippian jailer, and it went to his household. And we didn't touch on this, but again, all this you can find in the book of Acts and uh, the middle portion of Scripture there, 15, 16, 17, look through there, and you can recount all that went on there and how Paul is is, uh, brought before uh, the the council there and he's uh, smacked around a little bit for his sarcasm which uh, that, that always gives me hope. Uh, Paul makes a sarcastic comment in that. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Be a Berean. And um, anyways, he, uh, he tells them, look, this is, this is what happened to us at Philippi. You know the suffering that we endured. Now, I don't know about you, but you just got a nice beat down. Your wounds haven't even healed. You're carrying the scars. You could see how it'd be real easy to just next time keep your mouth shut. But no. Paul knew. He knew that everything else to him was meaningless. It was dumb. He had to proclaim the good news of Christ. He had no choice but to share the gospel. Woe is me if I don't. And yet, we don't have that kind of motivation today, do we? And we try to do everything we can to keep from sharing the gospel. We don't want to go there in that subject. And yet, when you look at the life of the early church, they lived and died to proclaim the gospel. Paul says, I came to you, and we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Hey, did it get any better for him at Thessalonica? No came there, they went in the marketplace, they brought out a bunch of ruthless and toothless guys wanting to make mincemeat of them again. And they end up dragging Jason and some of those in his house down to the magistrate's office and they end up setting some kind of law in place and okay, go from here. Uh, Just don't let this stuff happen again. Don't let this Paul come back in this town. And so... They end up sneaking out, Paul and Timothy and Silas, on over to Berea where they uh, begin to proclaim the gospel there again. Thessalonians heard some of those ruthless, toothless thugs heard they were over there so they get their band of bandits and go over there as well. Run them out from Berea. And, and so Paul is riding back after he's uh, gathered uh, himself to... Uh, write this letter in in Corinth uh, and he finds out from Timothy because he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica because he wanted to know, man, what's going on over there, what's happened since we left. And he gets a good report back from Timothy that these believers are still meeting, they're still growing. And so Paul's encouraged with that and he's writing and he's telling them, look, you know, you know my testimony, you know where I came from. You know what we did in your midst. And so we talked last time about our boldness in God. It's not to be an error. Truth must be a marking. Truth must be what's shared. Not in uncleanness. Moral purity. You know why your message? You know why your light is so dim oftentimes? You know why my light is so dim oftentimes? It's because... Of moral compromise. Moral impurity. Do I really believe this book? I believe this book. And yet I... I'm not speaking of me personally. But maybe this fits you. Maybe... At times, and I know it fit me. I believe this book, and yet I'm engaging in sex outside of marriage. I say I believe this book, and I get intoxicated. I say I believe this book and I dishonor my parents. I say I believe this book and I lie to my neighbor. I, I say I believe this book and I steal from my company. You know why our light's not bright, church? It's a moral compromise. God wants a people of Integrity. Now look, you can shine a light on, uh, on anybody in any given situation and magnify that and go, aha! But I don't know about you, I would rather spend my time saying, Lord, search me. Let me start here. Search me. Search me and try me. See if there's any, any way in me that's not pleasing. And I can assure you, we'll all stay busy with that one till eternity. But let me encourage you, He that's begun a good work in you, He will complete it until the day of redemption. We're not there yet, church. But there's a lot of us not even walking in that direction. And that's unacceptable. Paul writes to them, bold in our God, Speaking about the message that he proclaimed, knowing that it was not in error, knowing that it was not in an uncleanness, and not in deceit, craftiness, or guile. The idea there was kind of like a, a, a fishing bait, you know, and, the, and, and you want to trick the fish. You know, so you get one of those shiny little minnows that's got the hooks and it's going through the water and you want to hook them. Paul said, we didn't do that. He says, we were approved. We we were allowed by God to be entrusted with the gospel. It's a privilege. Me and you have a privilege to share the good news. And Paul says, this is the example. This is how I modeled it to you. You know me. You know us. He said, you've been entrusted with the gospel. Not pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests our hearts. You know what? One of the biggest problems with us, we are men-pleasers. By nature, we fight that. We want people to like us. Nobody sets out, hopefully, and says, you know, in my life I want to aspire to be hated by everyone. No. We want others to like us. And sometimes because of that, we compromise our stand. I know what God's told me to do. But if I stand for what's right and I do what God wants me to do, what would others think? What would others think? That's a snare. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. We need to trust in God. Not worry about what man might think. I tell you, that, that's one of the hardest things. I admit to you that 15 years ago today, 15 years ago today, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you know what? For three months prior to that, I wrestled with the Spirit of God because I knew what it meant for my life. I had enough seeds planted in my heart and this is what I kind of ran from for so long in my life was that I knew in my heart and mind that if I surrendered to God, it meant I had to give up certain things in my life. And the truth was, I loved those things more than I loved the thought of living for Christ. That's the truth. Now some of you, you'll wrestle and justify just as I did for many years that's not the case. God, you know I love you. You know I believe in you. You know I believe this book. But I'm just not ready right yet to fully commit my life to you because I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's kind of how I used to talk to God. But on February 19th, 1997, I woke up and I knew my game playing with God was over. I mean... I I was tired of running. I was tired of wrestling with this. And I knew. And I surrendered. And I can tell you, God changed my life. He changed my direction. One of the hardest things was I knew I'd have to give up. Certain things. You heard this morning take up the cross daily. A real disciple has to constantly look at their own life. Guess what? As a pastor, I have to look at my life daily. Christian, you have to look at your life daily. I know the young people have been studying through uh, in Sunday school on the qualifications of, a, of an elder, of a pastor and that of a deacon. And when you go through that study and you look at those things, those aren't qualifications that were in effect five years ago. Present present tense. Because, hey, 16 years ago I was a brawler. But am I presently a brawler? It just depends on if you come over to my house and... You know, try to steal my food. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Praise the Lord. Present tense. You know, we sometimes go through that list and we want to say, oh, well, yeah, yeah he, he used to be, oh, yeah, yeah this one's, oh, this one, no, nah, got to throw that one out. I won't go down that road. It's another sermon another day. Some of you already know which one I'm talking about. We make certain ones the unpardonable sin. Where are we at today? Where are you at today in your walk with God? I don't care where you were at five years ago. Where are you at today, presently speaking? And we need to start today and look inwardly and say, Lord, shine your light on me. Help me see that I might be an example so that I can share the gospel, that I can be the light that God has called me to be. Not pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests our heart. Not using flattering words. Paul said, Look, we didn't use flattering words. We didn't do that. Some have believed that Paul, in writing this, is answering critics. There were many out there. Uh, some from the Macedonian area that were trying to say, hey, look, these guys that came to you, they're like all those other charlatans because it was real popular for philosophers and people selling things and so forth to come through the area, and there were great orators, and this was a common practice. And so they were trying to say, oh, they're just like those guys. They would come into town and they would set up shop and they would try and do this to peddle to make money, And so, Paul, in a sense, some believe are addressing this situation in writing. Notice what he's saying to those in Thessalonica. We've been entrusted with the gospel to speak to you, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. The idea here is wearing a mask, a cloak covering, hiding and I, I, I know that oftentimes Christians are wearing a mask. Many of you put them on, most importantly, on Sunday. Good week. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Yeah, praise the Lord. The mask. Paul said, we didn't, we didn't come to you with a cloak, a mask for covetousness. <laughs> I hope I can get some money out of this town. I'm going to, you know. No, that's not what he went there for. You know, that guy that spoke yesterday at the end couldn't help but see beyond his mask in the message he was proclaiming. He talked about the prosperity gospel that God doesn't want anybody to be poor, anybody uh, uh, to not have things. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Jesus Christ emptied himself of the riches of glory and took on the robe of a man, had no place to lay his head. That's the example I want to follow. Ends up, Paul says, uh, nor did we... Uh, let, me, let me stop here because I want, I want to hit this. This is kind of... Interesting here. He said, neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. And I touched briefly on this last time, but I said, uh, the idea here is again, look, outwardly you hear and see. Inwardly you don't. And that's for all of us. But God does. You can wear that mask, Christian, but there's one who sees and knows who you really are, the character of who you are in the dark, behind closed doors. Paul says, that's not why we came. We didn't come hiding anything. We're transparent. What you see is what you get. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands... As apostles among you, hey look he could have he could have pulled out that card, you know, I am an apostle,, yeah. but he didn't. he could have appealed to that, but he didn't. He goes on he says, verse seven, but we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you, you know i i, I Before I move on to that that subject of sharing the gospel with gentleness, we're speaking of this issue of of integrity. And, And I can tell you, going through this study the past two weeks, as a pastor, very convicting. Helps me to reflect. Helps me to again search inwardly. And to once again cry out to God on that daily basis, Lord, help me be a man of integrity. Help me be a man of character. Yeah, you can see my flaws, and I'm sure many of you have. But God, by your grace, conform me into the image of your Son. Mary Margaret sent out an email to the pastor's prayer team, and I appreciated that email last month uh, or a couple weeks ago about a certain passage of Scripture in the Psalms and praying this for our pastor. You know, here's another passage of Scripture that you can pray for your pastor. But you know, I go through a study like this, and it's easy for you to go through a study like this, and it's easy to look at this and say, hey, you know, that, that don't apply to me. That's the apostles. This is more for the pastor. But I remind you, church, we are all ministers of the gospel. Every one of us have been entrusted with the gospel. This isn't only for me to carry. This is a message for all of us. And so I hope that you too will respond In asking God, shine a light in me. Help me know. Help me be as I should be. Bill Hybels related a story of integrity in Leadership Magazine. It illustrates proper humility in a leader. One evening, I stopped by the church just to encourage those who were there rehearsing for the spring musical. I didn't intend to stay long, so I parked my car next to the entrance. After a few minutes... I ran back to my car and drove home. The next morning, I found a note in my office mailbox. It read, A small thing, but Tuesday night, when you came to rehearsal, you parked in the no-parking area. A reaction from one of my crew, who did not recognize you after you got out of your car, was... There's another jerk in the no-parking area. We try hard not to allow people, even workers, to park anywhere other than the parking lots. I would appreciate your cooperation, too. It was signed by a member of our maintenance staff. This man's stock went up in my book because he had the courage to write to me about what could have been a slippage in my character. And he was right on the mark. As I drove up that night, I had thought, I shouldn't park here. But after all, I am the pastor. That translates, quote, I'm an exception to the rules, end quote. But that employee wouldn't allow me to sneak down the road labeled, quote, I'm an exception. I'm not the exception to church rules or any of God's rules. Exemplar, exemplary conduct means encouraging others to imitate us, even in the small matters. Good for this guy. And you know, again church, as my brothers, as my sisters in Christ, I beg you, if you see a character flaw in me, come alongside me. Sit down with me. Reason with me. I need that. I want that. I invite that. And shouldn't we all? I mean, if we really want to grow, if we're, if we're not playing games, if we want to genuinely be everything God wants me to be, everything that I need to be for the cause of Christ, shouldn't I be open to that kind of critique? Now, before I start getting flooded with knocks on my door, <laughs> search your motive. We had served for years under a pastor that he had certain personality quirks and they were preferences. People preferred this instead of that and they took that as an opportunity to try and create uh, a case against him as, as somehow he had uh, character issues. And that's not right. What I'm speaking of and what we're talking about here today are, are biblical issues. We're talking about the difference between truth and error. We're talking about moral purity and impurity, cleanness and uncleanness, sin. Paul says, you know me. You know me. So proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel for all of us as ministers of the gospel, we need to do this, be bold in our God, and we need to be gentle. Notice verses 7 through 11, what it says. Paul says to those in Thessalonica, he says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. As a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Affectionately longing for you, he says in verse 8. Faith's sick. She's sick this morning. She has a fever. She's at home, in bed, um, unless she's feeling better. Um, but Allison stayed home as a mother. And uh, when I read this passage, when I preach this verse, you know, I think about what Paul's saying here. He says, Look, and we know there's something about a mom. There's something about a mom's touch. There's something about a, a, the way a mother nourishes and, and, and cares for that nurturing aspect that, quite frankly, us men do not possess. And yet Paul says, in the sense of the gospel, in the sense of his sharing in their life, he says that we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Part of my responsibility is is to give you the milk of the word, is to help you grow, to encourage you gently in your walk. I'm thankful to be able to work with um, Brian and Remick on Wednesday nights for discipleship and seeing these young men grow in their walk, which, by the way, pray for Brian's dad. He was in an automobile accident last week. Uh, he's still in the hospital. Uh, I, he's uh, got a few fractures. Uh, and uh, But anyways, he's all right. I, I was able to visit with him, pray with him the other night. But I'm thankful for these guys who... They have a thirst to want to know God's Word. And they're faithful. I don't got to threaten them or, you know, drag them to church. They willingly want to come and learn God's Word. They desire the milk of the Word. And they're growing. And Paul knows that about these in Thessalonica. They have a desire to grow. They thirst for truth. They thirst in this relationship. I know there's others here in our midst that are doing discipleship with others. And praise the Lord for that. This is what we're to do, church. Take people under our wing, a Paul to a Timothy, and and help them grow in their faith. Just as a mother gently so affection those verse 8 so affectionately longing for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of god but also our own lives because you had become dear to us discipleship requires you and me to invest our lives that's real discipleship filling in a blank is not discipleship now that may be part of your discipleship. Because apart from the knowledge of the Word of God, you're just hanging out. But do you hear what Paul's saying? Hey, we didn't just come to you in Thessalonica to preach the gospel. We spent time with you. We poured our lives into you. And it may have only been three weeks. Right? Some would say two Maybe they arrived on that first Sabbath day and went into the synagogue and was there to the next Sabbath, one week, taught. There the next week, two weeks, taught and left. I kind of believe that because of some of the comments I read here that they were probably invested there a little longer before they were eventually ran out. But maybe it was only two weeks. But they invested in the lives of those that they were with, teaching them God's truth. Are you investing in the life of someone? Have you found a, a coworker or a couple or, or, or someone that you are pouring your life into? You need to. Pray about that. Pray that God will bring you to someone that you can share the gospel with and that you can begin to share the, the milk of God's word with. You say, well, I don't know enough myself. Well, what you do know? Share it. And then seek out somebody. Because I can assure you there's a lot of folks here. If you've never been discipled and you want to be discipled, I would love for you to come knock on my door. (laughs) Please come knock on my door. Pastor, I've never really been discipled. I've never had somebody invest in my life and and really take me through a systematic study of God's Word and and pour out uh, their life into me in this way. I, I would like that. Come see me. So, Paul says, hey, you know us. And in sharing the gospel, we need to be bold, but we need to be gentle. Gentle as a mother. And he goes on, he says, for you remember, brethren, you remember our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You know what Paul was doing? He had taken funds from another church that had given to him so that he could travel and preach the gospel, which, by the way... There's the heart of missions. We heard earlier about what's been done in Romania. And that's one of the missionary families that we support. And I know we haven't hit on this this year. Uh, some of you I know have asked about faith, promise, giving. And, and, and look, quite frankly, we've done that in the past several years since I've been here. And without fail, the numbers that are written down don't even come close to what's needed to support our current missionaries. But you know what happens? Praise the Lord, you guys give, and they are supported. And what we hope to do this year is the intent is to establish a stronger foundation for our missionaries. Some of them have been on the field for years and never saw an increase. How would you like that at your job if you served 15 years and never even got a single penny pay raise? So one thing we hope to do, and that's not been the case here, but it's been the case in a lot of churches. And When I talk to these missionaries, it is the case that they've had some churches. One guy told me I was supported by a church for almost 17 years and they never once gave me even a dime or dollar. He wasn't bitter about that. He was just sharing this is the reality of missions. While 17 years have passed in another country and the cost of living has skyrocketed. So one of the things I will encourage us all to do is to be faithful in giving towards missions. And by the way, for some of you that are new here, it's not out of our general budget. If you just give to the general fund, you give your tithe, that doesn't cover missions. We do missions separate from the budget. And I realize some of you aren't aware of that. And so when we give, my wife and I give, we use the envelopes and we'll write what goes to the general and then we'll write what we want above and beyond our tithe that we want to go to missions. And I encourage all of you to practice that because it will enable us to, number one, give those missionaries that support so that they can do what we've been hearing they're doing out on the front line in these other countries. Paul did that. Paul had had gotten some funds from another church, but see, he goes here to Thessalonica and in the Thessalonica situation, because these people are accusing and saying, hey, Paul's no different. He's like these charlatans. He's just here for the money. What did Paul do to nip that in the bud? He said, look, I don't want any funds. I'm going to work early in the morning and late at night making tents. And so he made tents. And he sold them. That was his side business. And that's what he did. So that there would be no truth to the blame, to the slander that was being circulated out there. You see, that was Paul stepping forward with integrity, knowing, realizing what was being being circulated, what was being said. He nips that in the bud. And he toiled day and night, laboring, night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel. You are witnesses, and God also. Here again, appealing both to man and to God as his witness. And he says, how devoutly and justly And blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. He says that their labor and toil was so it would not be a burden. And and he noticed, he says how we behaved. They were were devout in their behavior. The behavior was God honoring. They were just in what they did. And blameless. Now, a lot of folks think blameless. They miss this. They think blameless means that they're perfect. No, that's not what it means to be blameless. Let me give it to you this way. Blameless, if you're blameless, it means the mud don't stick. You understand what I'm saying? The mud don't stick. If you are in leadership, it's not a matter of if you're going to be slandered or gossiped about or talked about or that someone's not going to accuse. It's a matter of when. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The question is, does it stick? Does the mud stick? And if the mud don't stick, then you're blameless. You know, when I first started in the ministry, this was very hard. I mean, you know, I started off, everything's going along great, you know, you just, hey, man, this is great. And then all of a sudden that first accusation came. Way off base. So unfounded. Had nothing to do with my motive of my heart. But somebody said it. And it hurt. It hurt hard. And you guys know what I'm talking about. If anybody has ever said something that was not true about you. And a pastor friend of mine said, Yeah, Jeremy. He said, uh, Let me give you some counsel. He said, you know what? They did that to Jesus. They brought in false accusers. And the Bible says he didn't even open his mouth. <laughs> he didn't even respond. Can I tell you how hard at first... When that first happened, I wanted to set a chair here and a chair there, and I wanted to look at the person who made that comment and said, okay, now you said this about me. Why did you say that about me? That's not... And I want you know, to get this out because, man, that's my integrity. That's my testimony. I... I'm 25 years old when I come out of the world and, and when God changed my heart and direction, he changed my heart and my direction and I, I mean, I wanted to air this dirty laundry. That's not the advice I wanted to hear. But then I said, that's God's advice. And so I gave it to the Lord and I loved on that person and I tried to do what I knew was right in the sight of God. Is it hard? Absolutely. And if you're in leadership, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Somebody doesn't like the way you done you, you did this or you did that. Paul said, look, you know, God's our witness. We behaved devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. We behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does. His own children. Isn't it interesting? He started off in this gentle, as a mom, with nourishing and cherishing. And now he says, also like a father. And and think about the balance in this approach. It's the same balance that you have in a home. A mom is gifted and and equipped in a certain way. A father also gifted and equipped in another way. And when they're both there in in that home, it brings a balance And yet we see here that as a father, a father exhorts, comforts, and charges. And so you look at this. Paul says, look, you know how we were when we were there with you. We behaved like a a father who exhorted you. Now, an exhorting can be either hard, correcting, or soft and encouraging. It can go both ways. I can exhort you, and exhorting sometimes can be more of a, like I say, more of a forceful um, rebuke almost. And you, some of you know, you either grew up with a dad like this, or you've heard me talk to Luke. You know, <laughs> son, you know, you need to do this. Exhorting. Paul had to do that. He was also had to comfort. You know, dads, you comforting? You comforting your children? Anyway, Paul here says from and from a believer standpoint, uh, part of his job as their father in the faith was to exhort them and to comfort them, and to charge them every one of you. Part of my responsibility is, as a pastor is in equipping you is at times to be nurturing. Some of the younger believers, guess what? I've got to be a little more long-suffering with some of them that are new to the faith. So this person who's new to the faith is, is living in sin and they're practicing a lifestyle that's contrary to Christ With they're brand new believer. I need to come alongside and give a little more nourishment and encouragement with this person. Whereas to over here, this person's been claiming to know Christ for 20 years and they're living like the devil. That may require rebuke. Well, you didn't do that to that person over there. Absolutely, they're a baby. You know, I expect some behavior from Sarah. I don't expect other behavior from, from faith. You know, there's a difference. And we have to discern sometimes in the situations and in the circumstances. Not that the truth is changed. The truth is the same. If this person is living in a moral lifestyle, it's a moral lifestyle. If this person is living in a moral lifestyle, it's a moral lifestyle. But how I handle this person to get them to understand that same truth may be a little different than how I handle this person. And there again, that's too where our giftedness as believers in this local body comes into play. Some of you are better gifted with the gift of mercy and encouragement. And some of us others are maybe gifted with with prophecy and we're a little more (coughs) exhorting. And you know what? That tool's needed for this job where this tool's needed for that job. I just called you all tools. You didn't get that. (laughs) Anyway, we're all in God's hands, right? Let me wrap this up. gentle like a mother like a father so what's our application what is paul why do we what are you telling us paul what are you writing this to the Thessalonican believers how does this apply to me he says for you remember brethren our labor toil and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God, your witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. What's the point that you would walk worthy of God? The point is that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You want to know what you need to get out of this message today? Walk worthy. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. Walk worthy. You know, our Sunday school study this morning it was great. He gave an illustration. I'm going to use it today. He talked about how he discovered something about a closet. And inside the closet is dark. It's dark inside the closet. But when he opens the door, it lets the light in. And I thought at first too, just like you're thinking, wow, that's a, that's a novel, that's an amazing breakthrough. But he went on and he talked about when you open the door, does the darkness overtake the light? No. The light Floods into the darkness. And now you can see. Whereas before, if you were in that closet and it's pitch black, you don't see anything. You're in the darkness. But when that light comes in, it overtakes the darkness. Christian, we live in a dark world. But we possess as believers in Christ the light, the hope the world needs in this dark world. We've got to let the light overtake the darkness. We've got to be that city on a hill. We've got to walk worthy of God. Ephesians 4.1 tells us, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You name the name of Christ, and yet he tells us again, and we know these because we we spent a year plus in Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God. Chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God his dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, and the idea here is all this sexual perversion, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornication, unclean person, nor covetousness, nor, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We believe this book or not? If we believe this book, why are we walking in darkness? We've got to share the gospel. We've got to share it with boldness. We've got to share it with gentleness. We've got to let our light shine. And that means we've got to walk worthy. Walk worthy of God.